My name is uh, Pastor Marcus. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, Daisy, Daisy didn't know that um, that we were there was a change, and that I would be delivering the word today. But every blessing that was prayed for Pastor Christian, I receive right now. Amen. Amen. I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to say hello to them and tell them today you're going to be changed. If you don't know them, say hello. Let's say today you're going to be changed. You know, last month in June was Women's Ministry Month. Ow! You know, the women in the house were delivering the word, leading worship. That's our sister Sole was leading worship so powerfully. And, uh, man, it was such a blessing, wasn't it? It was such a blessing for me, too. But as I sat there, I could feel myself itching to want to preach. It's just like, God's been speaking to me. I got to say it. And so I'm here. He made me wait a month, you know. So this word today is something that's been stewed on. He's put it in the slow cooker, you know. You ever had food when you you cook it slow at low heat for a long time, like a big steak or rotisserie chicken, you know, and you rotate it. And then when you eat it, it's like so juicy and good. That's what this sermon is today. (laughs) Some of you are like, what? Slow cooker? What? After this, I want to encourage you to go home and go to YouTube and learn how to cook. Just kidding. No, no, no. I don't want anyone to get offended already. (laughs) Today, what I'm I'm speaking to you about today is something that God has been speaking to me about the past two months. It's something that he's not allowed me to get away from. I've tried, you know, God speaks something to you. And after a while, you're like, God, okay, I get it. I get it. Can you please talk to me about something else? But he's like, no, I'm going to keep talking to you about this because you don't get it yet. And so he kept talking to me about this over and over and over. And I feel like he's really put it in me to give to you today. If you're taking notes, the title of today's message is it's not over yet. Everyone say it right now. Say it's not over yet. See, there's two things that God wants to talk about today. And the first is grace. And the second is resurrection. He wants to talk about grace and resurrection. I want you to open up your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're new to New Philly, my name is Marcus Corpening. I am the campus pastor here at New Philly, Itaewon. And we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians for the past year. And we're drawing to a close. We, we're at chapter 15, and the next week we're going to finish this series off with chapter 16. We're going to finish what's taken, it's taken us a year to get through, and it's been a good year, hasn't it? But today I felt like God was taking me back to the basics. But I, I believe that if you're really listening and you open up your heart today, God's going to speak to you and it's going to transform your life. I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 15 and we're just going to read three verses right now. We're going to read from verses 9 
2.11. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm going to read it out. I want you to just look along with me. For I am the least of the apostles. This is Paul speaking, the apostle Paul speaking. I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And God, what you desire to speak to us today is meant to set us free. It's living, God, meaning that you desire for it to be spoken to us today. And even, God, if we've heard about grace before, I thank you, God, that by your word and by your spirit, there's something new that you want to give to us. So, Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come. We ask for just your anointing to come and for your spirit to open up every heart and heart to renew our minds and to make us fertile soil for your word to bear much fruit in our lives. We bind the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We bind every distraction. And we decide to be fully present with you as your word is preached, God. So, Lord, we come before you in humility and honor. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this, this passage right here is taken out of the entire chapter, obviously, of 1 Corinthians 15. And, and it's been a while since we talked about Corinth, so I'll give you some background. Corinth was this city. It was this port city that was in Greece. And it was, this place was like Itaewon times 10. Like there were always people flowing in and out of Corinth. There were always people coming in and out of Corinth. There were always people there selling goods, buying goods. You had people of different ethnicities, different backgrounds, and they all came to this city called Corinth. Corinth also was not just this port city that had a lot of people flowing through it, but it also was probably the most immoral place in Greece. There they worshipped the Greek god Aphrodite, the Greek goddess Aphrodite or the Roman goddess Venus. Same, 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 whatever. And this was the Greek goddess of love. And so because they worshipped this Greek goddess of love, Everyone had sex with prostitutes in the middle of the city square. It was an immoral place. It was common for people to be adulterous on their, in their marriages, in their families. It was common for young girls to be given up as offerings to Aphrodite, to be prostitutes. Not just that, but it also was influenced by Athens because it was not too far from Athens. So it was also the, an intellectual center where people constantly bickered. They fought back and forth. This was a place where everyone fought and everyone was immoral. Corinth was a crazy, nasty place. But this was the place where God decided to plant a church. Because God doesn't run away from sin. Many of us, we think that, oh, I've sinned too much. I've got too much going on in my life. No, God doesn't run away from sin. He plants a church there. 
And so he plants this church and it begins to explode. God's power begins to get poured out in Corinth and it begins to become this huge, awesome church. You call it a mega church. And but what begins to happen over time is that Corinth begins to change. The church of Corinth begins to change. And so what began to be this powerhouse place where the Holy Spirit was in operation and people's lives were being changed. All of a sudden you had the leaders and the people who attended their love for Jesus started to grow cold. All of a sudden some deception started to come in. You had leaders believing in bad theology and then you had people sleeping around as well. But all of this, everyone knew about it, but no one would ever say anything. So they did what most of us would do. They wrote Paul a letter. <laughs> How many of us were tattletales growing up? I was not. Okay, I was a little. I had this cousin. I had two cousins. They were both older than me. And they always seemed to introduce me to stuff I didn't need to be introduced to as a kid. And so they always had me doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And... Um, Depending on how I felt that day, either I would tell on them or I would get into it with them and then tell on them. I was a bad kid. You can hang around me now. I don't do that now. And so now Paul, he writes to them because they, they've started to misunderstand two very simple things. They started to misunderstand grace and they started to misunderstand the resurrection. I want to tell you that grace and the resurrection are the two most important things that you need to get as a Christian. If you don't understand grace, your Christian life, it's not filled with joy. It's not filled with peace. And if you don't understand the resurrection, you have no hope. So it's really important for you to understand grace and the resurrection. In fact, the resurrection is the manifestation of God's grace. I'm going to get into that more later. Let's talk about grace, right? You know, something that I've been meditating on recently is that for most of us in the body of Christ, we don't really have a sin problem. We're really good at sin. The problem is we have a grace problem. We don't know how to deal with sin. We don't know how to receive grace. We don't know how to give grace. You know, recently I went to the Caribbean I went to I went to Tobago, Trinidad and Tobago, and uh, it was really awesome. One of my closest friends was getting married and he messages me on Gchat because that's how we he was in. He's stationed in London. And so he messaged me on Gchat and he's like, yo, what's up? He's like, listen, I'm getting married in the Caribbean. I'm like, shut up. Why are you telling me that? I'm in Korea. Like I live. I don't even live next to the Han River. Like, you know. And he's like, I'm going to the Caribbean. We're getting married in the Caribbean. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's awesome. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and he's like, but I want you to come with me. What? <laughs> smiley face. <laughs> Asian smiley face, you know. <laughs> he's like, listen, bro, I know you've been working hard. I know you've been doing a lot in Korea, man. I know you also want to go to the States and see your family. So check it out. Go. I'm like, oh, yeah, I go. I ain't got no money. <laughs> no, no. I'll pay for your ticket. Whoa, 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 what? 
Asian smiley face, Asian smiley face. <laughs> now, listen, let me know the dates that you can get off. And then here's what we'll do. I'll pay for your ticket to go to North Carolina, visit your family for a week. Then I'll pay for your ticket to go to Tobago. And then you can stay at the, the beach resort with us. Don't worry about it. I got it. I'm like, okay, baller, what are you doing? <laughs> and then he's like, and then I'll pay for your ticket back home and then back to Seoul. Cool. I ain't going to say no to that. I'm going to say, cool. Yes. But then the more and more I'm telling people and I, I send messages to Pastor Christian, I let them know what's happening. And then everyone starts asking me questions. Oh, so you must be a groomsman. I'm like, oh, yeah, I must be a groomsman. You must be the best man, right? For him to pay for you to go all that way. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, I must be. I must be the best man. I mean, why would he pay for me to go all this way and pay all this money for me to go to the beach and just do nothing and then watch him get married? Bless him. And then, you know, why would he do all that? Yeah, I must be the best man, man. There must be something he wants me to do. He must want me to perform or to do something there. There's got to be a reason why he wants me to go on this trip. So I message him. I try to be smooth about it. Hey, bro. So is there anything you needed me to do? He says, no, your family, I just want you to come and kick it. And when he said that something inside of me felt off, I felt like it was wrong. Hey, why is he doing this? Why is he giving me something for free? I don't deserve this. No, I, I need to, I need to earn this. Don't so many of us have that kind of mentality. I was listening to a sermon by a guy, a pastor in Los Angeles. He was talking about our concept of of love. And he was with his wife and his wife said, honey, tell me why you love me. And he's like, usually I recognize that these questions are traps. (laughs) But this time I was going to answer and he's because I got a good answer. And he said, honey, I just love you. There's no reason why I love you. I just love you. And she's like, what? You mean there's no reason why you love me? He's like, no, nothing. There's nothing you could do to make me love you more. Huh? So you're saying all of this, you don't love me, what? And then he said, I realize that so many of us yearn for unconditional love and grace, but we've been conditioned to want conditional love. We don't know how to receive something for free. If someone, if whenever someone wants to love you for free and do something for you for free, something inside of us gets jacked up, doesn't it? That's because we have a grace problem. Not a sin problem, a grace problem. Let's talk about grace. Four things I want to talk about grace. I want to look at, let's start off at verse nine. Paul says, he says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. This is the apostle Paul. He's planted more churches than any of us could ever dream. He's done more for God than any of us could ever hope for. He's done more in his life. He's seen more lives transformed than any of us could ever hope to have an impact. This guy is on it. I mean, he was motivated. Like he wanted to go to a city one time. God said, no, you can't go there. Paul, sit down somewhere. You ever had God tell you like, no, you're so motivated for him. He's like, no, I want you to take a break. 
For most of us, God's like, I want you to get up. No, Paul was like this motivated guy. He did so much, but he looks at himself and he says, I'm the least. I'm unworthy. The first thing you need to know about grace is that you don't deserve it. And this actually is probably the most important point to get. We don't deserve grace. Paul did so much for God. He had yearned. He had lived this life that maybe we all would wish to live a huge impact. But he realizes that he's the least. Why? Because Paul had this understanding that the grace of God was something he did not deserve. I know that's something probably antithetical to what you maybe normally hear me preach. But you need to understand that you don't deserve God's grace. Because if you realize that you don't deserve God's grace, then your response to God will change. In Luke chapter 7, there's a, there's a, a great story of, and you guys probably all know it. Let's turn there right now. Luke chapter 7. And it's about a Pharisee and a prostitute. In this story in Luke chapter 7, there's a story about a Pharisee and a prostitute. You guys probably know it as a woman with the alabaster jar. I believe it. Yeah, it's Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... That's gangster. Like, that's crazy. I wouldn't want that to be written about me in the Bible. Marcus of the city, who was a sinner. What? When she learned that Jesus was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house. Jesus was chilling with Pharisees. She learns that Jesus is reclining at the Pharisee's house. And so she jumps in. She has an alabaster flask of ointment. Other translations say that she had a very costly jar of perfume. And seeing Jesus, she kneels behind him. She breaks it, pours it out on his feet, and then starts rubbing his feet with her hair and with her tears. If that happened today, how would you respond? (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. Especially if I did it, you know what I'm saying? Y'all be like, too close, too close, too close. And what happens is the Pharisee, Simon is his actual name. When he sees that this woman's doing this, he says to Jesus, pretty much, why are you letting this woman do this? Don't you know that this woman who's touching you is a sinner? And Jesus gives him in the new Marcus translation. He's like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, be quiet. And he he goes into his story. He says, there's this money lender who was owed money by two different people. One owed 50, another owed 500. But the money lender, he was feeling good that day. So he decides to cancel their debt. He says, who do you think loves more? The Pharisee, obviously, like Jesus, this is 101. Obviously, the one who's been forgiven more. And he says, you've judged rightly. And then he turns to the woman and he says, you see this woman, you've been forgiven much, therefore you love much. For one who's forgiven little loves little. 
And many of us, we've grown up in the church or we've heard this before. So we, we either put ourselves in one or two camps, right? Either I'm the Pharisee, you know, I didn't do all that stuff in college. I didn't do any of that. Or I'm the prostitute. Let's be real. Jesus, uh, mm, 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 you know, every time I, I heard this story, I always identified with the prostitute. But the interesting is, thing is, is like, you know, the prostitute, they, they love Jesus a lot, right? They're the ones that come into service and they just got set free from their addiction. And so they're on their hands and knees and they're crying. And then you're like, but the other people who identify with the Pharisee are like, well, Jesus, I don't love you that much. Tear. You know, I grew up in the church. I haven't sinned a lot. And so we put ourselves in one or two camps. But Jesus actually in this story was calling us all to see that we're not the person who owes 50. Each and every one of us is the one that owes 500. Have you ever, let's talk about the prostitute. Have you ever lusted emotionally even? physically well jesus says earlier that if you lust in your heart you've committed adultery if you look at someone with lust you've committed adultery have you ever lusted at multiple people that's multiple adultery in in a biblical context the bible would look at you and call you a prostitute What about Paul? You know, Paul calls himself the least of sinners or the least of apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because he persecuted the church. You know, Paul, he he watched people die. He saw Stephen die right before him and Paul did nothing. He chased out the church. He was pretty much the reason why the church scattered because he was so zealous to kill Christians. Most of us be like, well, I'm not like, shoot, I'm not like him. I ain't killed nobody. My hands are clean. Have you ever hated? Jesus says, if you, you ever been bitter, unforgiving? Jesus says, if you hold hate in your heart, that's murder. What about against someone in the church? You ever hated someone in the church? Angry at someone in the church? That's murder in the church. I think that sounds like persecution. Steal, lie. In Romans, it says that there's no one righteous. No, not even one. No one who does good. See, sometimes we can come before God and think we deserve it. But the truth is, if we look... If we really look at who we are apart from Jesus, we, we don't deserve a thing. You know, the biggest revelation I had when I was in Tobago was that apart from grace, I am a sinner. That apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. But it doesn't stop there. It's not over yet. Let's look. Let's look at first. Turn back to first Corinthians 15. The first thing you need to know about grace is that you don't deserve it. Paul says, but 
He says, I'm the least of all apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. He stands before God and says, God, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be before you. I don't deserve to have this calling. I've killed people. I've murdered people. I've committed sin. And James says, if you break one commandment, you've broken them all. He says, I don't deserve it. But everyone say, but I love that word. I love but in Bible and but and therefore in the Bible. Don't you love that? Whenever you see a but in the Bible. That was more awkward than I expected it to be. I wasn't even trying to go there. When I see but or therefore, something inside of me rejoices. Paul says, I'm unworthy. I'm the least. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, you don't deserve anything from God. You don't deserve his grace. You don't deserve his love. You don't deserve his provision. You don't deserve his blessing. But he gives it to you anyways. By the grace of God. There's three meanings for the word in the Greek. Everyone say charis. That's, you just learned a Greek word. The first thing is unmerited favor. I just talked about being unmerited. The second is kindness. Charis, grace, means kindness. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, meaning I am who I am today because of what God has chosen to do in my life. And maybe for some of you, you haven't experienced anything where you can say that you are who you are today because of God. But it's not over yet. And when he says I am what I am, it's a crazy statement because there's only two other people in the Bible who use such language. Jesus And God, when God's standing before Moses and Moses says, who do I say sent me? What do I tell them when he's when God's commanding him to go set millions of people free? Like, that's a crazy vision. And Moses is standing there with all kinds of feelings of unworthiness and feeling like he can't do it and feeling like it's too much for him. God says, say, I am who I am sent you. What that meant was that God is pure. He's unchanging. It meant that he, he, God has a divine confidence. He doesn't ever have to change who he is. He is who he is. And see, when Paul says that by the grace of God, I am what I am, what he's saying is because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross, I'm able to take part in the same kind of divine confidence in my identity. I am who I am today by the grace of God. See, he talks about it earlier in first Corinthians. You can look in the, in the first couple chapters. He talks about how Jesus came in and took our sin. Jesus came in and took our mistakes. He took our failure. He took our unworthiness. So that we can receive grace and be who we are who were meant to be in him. The second thing that, about grace you need to know is that it calls you into your true identity. You know, whenever some, when, when that brother Jazz, when he paid for my ticket, when he, when he blessed me to go on a vacation, like, I was like, you know, I wanted to cry. I didn't cry because, you know, I don't cry like that. Okay, I'm a crier. Sometimes I do. 
But I realized that what happened when he did that was that he was, it reminded me of who I really am. It told me that I'm a person who has worth and value. It told me that I'm a person who, who has not just worth and value, but divine worth and value. But see, if you don't get this, if you don't understand that one, you don't deserve it. And two, that God has given it to you anyways, you miss it and you end up in two places. Either you strive or actually striving is the same thing as, or you become overly critical. You ever meet those people that are just so hard on themselves? You give them an encouragement, man, you did an awesome job. Well, you know, I missed that little thing, you know, man, you're awesome. No, well, you know, after a while, I just want to, you're awesome. Get it. Or those people that continue to work and work and work and work and work and work and never can rest because they're afraid that if they stop, everything that they built for themselves will waste away. I love in John chapter 15, where Jesus he talks about, I wanted to talk about this today. And Pastor Aaron, she just preached it at Seaside. Like she took it right out of my journal. I was like, she's stealing my message right now. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. But he also says something else. He says, my father is the vine dresser. You know what a vine dresser is? Vine dresser is the one who has the shears and he, he tends the vine. He cuts off the places that need, that are dead, that need to be removed. And he, he makes sure that the vine is in a perfect place so that it can grow and bear much fruit. Jesus says that whoever bears much fruit, the father prunes so that you will bear much more fruit. But if you don't understand this aspect of grace and how it, it ties in with your divine identity, what you begin to do is you try to take the shears from the father and you try to cut areas in your own life. Oh, well, this area, I'm so bad here. Oh, this area, this is so bad here. Oh, this area. And you start cutting either too much or too little. Not recognizing that grace, part of grace is what calling you to rest in who you are in Christ. The Bible says his kindness leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God. That changes the course of your life. That's what repentance means. It means to change a course or to change your mind. It's the kindness, the grace of God that changes the aspects of our lives. And what that means as well is that who you are right now, today, you can have complete, if you're in Christ Jesus, you can have complete confidence in your divine identity. And that means you don't have to constantly think about how to make yourself better. You don't have to constantly think about how to change your life, how to become a better person. Because it's not your responsibility. It's God's. It's not your responsibility to deal with this issue. It's not your responsibility to deal with this issue. It's God's. And if you're open and if you're listening to God and you're connected with the spirit, God will put people around you and put you in circumstances to make sure that you address those issues, to make sure that that area of your life gets taken care of. That's grace. That's why Paul was able to say, I am who I am. Grace calls us to stop beating ourselves up so much and to just rest in who we are in him. The third thing you need to know about grace. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. The third thing you need to know about grace is that grace calls us to work passionately for God. You know, work, work is biblical. But in order for you to do what God has destined for your life, in order for you to do something that has eternal worth and value, you can't do it in your own strength. Actually, you need grace. The third, the third thing that grace stands for is power. In Hebrews, it says, let us boldly go to the throne of grace that we will find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Power to help us in our time of need. You know, for you to get to where God is destined you to go, you can't do it on your own. You need supernatural grace. In order for what you, God's calling you to do to have eternal worth and value, you need the power of God. Earlier this week, like I'm, I was once an intern pastor for three years here at New Philly. And Pastor Christian, all of a sudden, sometime this week, he asked myself and Pastor John and Pastor Myungwa, who all used to be intern pastors, he asked for our report cards from seminary. Like from all three years, like he was just like, I think he was wanting to file it all away or for his records or something. So he was like, send me your report cards. And as soon as he said that, I felt nervous because I'm smart, but I, I didn't do so well. It's not reflected in my grades. That's what I'm trying to say. And, uh, and so I'm looking at my grades and I'm typing them up and then I'm looking at the spring of 2010 and I'm noticing it's like, Hebrew, D plus. I was like, oh, I got that. This is, I'm like checking the name. I'm like, no, this ain't mine. This ain't, oh, snap, that's me. Okay, Greek. Come on, Greek, come on, Greek. C plus. I'm like, it's satisfactory, I guess. And then I can hear Pastor Myungwan like looking at her. She's like, oh, Hebrew. Oh, B plus, A minus. I mean, you know, why don't you give me some grace? Why you got to talk so loud over there? Greek, C plus. He's like, oh, Greek, A. And then she tried to be all humble. She's like, you got better grades than me. I was like, be quiet. Don't talk to me no more. (laughs) And then, uh, but then all of a sudden, as I was giving this Christian my grades and I could feel this shame coming over me. I just wanted to just like not even look at him just here. Just take it. I'm quitting today. I'm not worthy. Then God started reminding me. He said, Marcus, wait a, wait a minute. Do you remember what happened in spring 2010? I was like, yeah, kind of. No. <laughs> He's like, it was spring of 2010 that you guys did the E-Tel-1 church plan. You remember how that was? A team of 10 meeting in King Bar, evangelizing during the week and meeting during the week as well. You remember, you guys did a lot and you were a full-time student. You're right, God. You, you remember the Niagara Conference was that summer? And you made, you had to make the website, all the print media and put it all together in like 
week's time, right during your midterms? Yeah, I did. Do you remember that you and Pastor John were sleeping in bunk beds in the office? Okay, yeah, we two grown men, we slept in bunk beds in one room in the office when it was an apartment. I'm not ashamed. Don't judge me. I was like, yeah, we lived at the office. Yeah, so you know, every time you woke up, you always felt like you needed to do some work. Every time you ate, every time you sat down, every time you did anything, you felt like you needed to do work. You never really rested. Yeah, God, I remember that. He's like, yeah, you thought that was the hardest time, but really, and you think these grades reflect, but, you know, I looked at those grades and I thought those grades reflected the grace of God during that time. He's like, no, my grace was so much stronger during that time. Do you know that during that time you were relying on supernatural grace, supernatural power? Because you were doing things that weren't really humanly possible. And I really wasn't. I was only sleeping like two hours a night, two, three hours. And I was like, snap. But the impact that all those things have are eternal. The impact of the Itaewon church plant is eternal. The impact of what God did at that Niagara conference, eternal. The impact of sleeping in the office, temporary. <laughs> Very temporary. But it was supernatural. You know, in Luke, in Luke 7, I talked about the woman with the alabaster jar. And I want to I revisit that just for a second. The woman with the alabaster jar, she was a prostitute, right? She didn't deserve to even be in the presence of Jesus. But she brought before Christ something that... And it's, it's written in all the Gospels. It's written in Matthew, Mark. It's written in John as well. It says that she brought a jar full of very costly perfume. And one can only assume that this prostitute had to really work and save to get this jar. I mean, you can imagine that this jar of perfume that she had, I mean, seeing how she was a prostitute, she probably every morning got up, took a little bit, you know, dab here, dab there, and walked down the street hoping that this, this perfume was going to help her be known. It was going to help her maybe make more money that day, maybe help her provide for those she needed to provide for. You could imagine probably this very costly jar of perfume was, was everything. It was the product of her striving. She had to save to get it, and she probably used it to continue on. But she comes to Jesus, and she breaks it at his feet. And in, in other versions, the, the disciples all say, what is she doing? This is a waste. She should have given this to the poor. But God says, no, no. Because of what she's done, wherever the gospel's preached, her name will be mentioned. Wherever the gospel's preached, her story will be mentioned. And it's really interesting that God, that Jesus chooses to use that as her reward. You know why? Because that jar of perfume represented everything that she would strive for to make herself known. But when she gave it to Jesus and she broke it at his feet, Jesus gave her what? He gave her something of eternal value. She was breaking at his feet what she saved up to be known for a moment. But Jesus gave her what it meant to be known for a lifetime. See, whenever you bring God... See, Paul talks about working hard. 
There's an aspect why, where we need to work hard. We need to bring God our best. But whenever you begin to, too many of us are bringing the world our best and not God. Too many of us are striving to get ahead for man's approval and not God's approval. Because we don't understand that if we bring to God everything, we bring to God the product of our own striving, God will give us back something of even greater worth. Eternal value. Supernatural value. Supernatural grace. See, that's what grace is about. And the interesting thing is that Paul, Paul talks about this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but the larger context isn't even about grace at all. It's actually about the resurrection. And I'm going to bring this together and then, and then I'll close this. Because I told you I wanted to talk about grace and I want to talk about the resurrection. Paul begins to talk about the resurrection because the, actually the, the larger context of the entire passage is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection that Jesus has done. Because in the church in Corinth, they had started to believe that, yeah, Jesus had died for their sins, but he had not overcame the grave. Yeah, he had died for their sins, but there actually isn't no resurrection. And Paul, he tells him, he says, listen, if you don't believe in the resurrection, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the grave and therefore you too will be raised from the grave, your faith is in vain. Your hope is in vain. You know why Paul said that? Because grace and receiving and understanding and believing in grace and, and walking that out in your life, what that looks like is resurrection. Let me explain what this means. See, it wasn't just the grace of God that Jesus took our sins and went to the cross. Because if Jesus would have died on the cross for our sins but never came back from the grave, then it's done. What, why are we gathering? Why are we here? Why are, we're not even redeemed. We're not even changed. There's no hope for whenever we experience hurt, pain, whenever we experience death, whenever we experience hard things happening in our lives. There's no hope if Jesus, he went to the cross and then the man died. And that's it. But the resurrection... And grace, I said resurrection is the manifestation of grace because the resurrection was the first sign that we saw that whenever negative things happen, whenever pain and death come into our lives, it's not over yet. Whenever someone hurts you and you want to just say that relationship's over and whenever you want to say that I'm done with that person, the resurrection says, no, Jesus Christ has overcome death. So you can overcome that. It's not over yet. You can give grace. Whenever you think that you've reached your limit at your job, and you know what? I'm tired of this job. I'm ready to quit. I'm tired of these dreams. I'm going to let these dreams die. The resurrection is proof that there's grace to say it's not over yet. Whenever you feel like I've been battling, we have a lot of people that have been contending for healing. You feel like, you know what? There's no more hope. There's no more hope for that. There's no more hope to experience healing. No, but God says by his grace, it's not over yet. See, Paul could have looked at himself and said, you know what? I don't deserve it. 
and I've killed so many people and I've done so many things. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. I'm unworthy to be chosen by God. But God looked at Paul and said, Paul, it's not over yet. Paul, I'm resurrecting your life. I'm resurrecting the call that I put upon you. I'm resurrecting the destiny I put inside your life. I'm resurrecting your family. I'm resurrecting your job. I'm resurrecting your, I'm resurrecting. God is in the business of resurrection. And it all comes by his grace. See, when you understand that, that's when you live the victorious life. That's when you realize that pain, suffering, brokenness, sin. Like I said, we don't have a sin problem. We all know sin really well. We have a grace problem. Knowing that even when we experience, even when we sin, or even when we're sinned against, that's not the end of the story. Jesus showed us that's not the end of the story. Even for ourselves, this life, no matter what you experience in this life, when it ends, for those in Christ, it's not the end of the story. I mean, for those who are not in Christ, it's not the end of the story either. But for those of us in Christ, we, we step into true victory. We step into true manifestation of everything that's pure, lovely, noble, right, and true. Everything that we desire to walk in in this life, we experience it fully in Christ. See, what God wants to say to you today is that no matter what you've been going through, his grace says it's not over. That the best is yet to come. I want us to pray right now.